God, who is here in this place, even now in our midst, empower us to praise you, not with words and actions which come from outside of us, but from within us. Dwell in us fully so that we may sing to you with all of our being. Fill us with a sense of your joy that we might actually delight in your worship. Focus us on on your self-giving love, which is above every love we've ever known. God, who is here in this place, make your love real to us this day. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. This Sunday is the fourth week of a teaching series we've been calling About Face, and it's a series designed specifically for this first part of the new year. I know that a lot of us make resolutions about things we'd like to change in our life at the start of the year, but mostly they're pretty superficial things. And we avoid the deeper issues that have us in their grip. So we talked the first week about coming out of the shadows, and uh, the shadows of shame and guilt and finding freedom in Christ. The next week we talked about how some of that shame and guilt we keep buried and hidden, and uh, how it's not all our fault, often comes from things that have happened to us in life. Last week we described what it's like to live with a narcissist someone who is next to impossible to deal with at times, but how the grace of God can meet us even in that experience. Now, I will tell you that all of these messages are online. If you uh, miss some in the series, you're welcome to go online to our website. Uh, There's a podcast, and you can listen to the messages. There's also printed copies available out in the lobby near the sign-up counter toward this exit door. But today we're going to talk about the power that addictions have on our life, and again, about the grace of God that can set us free. Too often we tend to run away from Jesus when sin is controlling our life, and as we'll see from a passage of Scripture today in John chapter 8, we are invited instead to do something that's very countercultural, and that is to run to Jesus. For he alone is the one that can save us and give us the freedom Uh, that we long for. We'll get to all that in just a bit, but let's pray together. Lord, we are reminded this morning that your word tells us that God remembers us and he visits us, and he's always seeking to restore us to the community of faith. In our pain, in our suffering, in our loss, we can know the assurance of your presence with us always. When everything seems hopeless, you lift us up, In our loneliness, you come and bring healing and transformation. And when we so desperately want to change, you make it possible. So God, as we gather for worship, meet us here. We've come with high expectations, and we know that you have good things in store for us. So fill us with yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, addiction is a powerful force, and any one of us can fall into its clutches. Sin is equally addictive, and Jesus said that there are many people who are slaves to sin because Satan continues to tell us lies that keep us in bondage. Sin and addiction uh, both are destructive, but there is a path of hope, and it's through God's grace when we come to Christ, addictions can be addressed because we serve a God who wants to set us free. I actually read a story about a cocaine addict in New York who was in a room and decided to chain himself to the radiator so that he wouldn't go down to the street and do more cocaine. But apparently because the radiator was broken, he was able to get at least a piece of it to come loose. 
so that he was able to get back down to the street, all the while still chained to this heavy piece of metal. And here's what he said. Coke has a voice, and when it calls, I have to go. But some of us know all too well that it's not just cocaine that has a voice. It's alcohol, it's gambling, it's pornography, and various other addictions, but Self-righteousness can also be an addiction where we think that we really don't need God's grace like other people. In, the, uh, in this series of messages, we've been talking about the importance of having a clear conscience. But of course, it's really not possible to have a clear conscience if we're struggling with reoccurring sin in our life and always losing the battle. That's why as part of this series, I want to talk about addictions. And remember our key verse from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Read it along with me. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. Now I'm going to make five brief introductory comments before we turn to the scripture text for today. First, let me say that this is going to be a message about grace. When it comes to dealing with addictions, we don't need any more condemnation. We already feel it. Our conscience already reminds us that there is a part of us that is constantly being defeated, and so what we need is grace. And at the end of the message, it is my intention to show us God's grace and to leave us there because that's where we need to be. The second comment is that we're all prone to be addicts. We all love something more than we should. Ezekiel, the prophet, spoke about people who put up idols in their hearts. So we'll discover that some addictions are very obvious and known, but there are also some that are very subtle. And rather than us thinking about that there may be some addicts around us, maybe even sitting next to us today, why don't we think in terms that all of us struggle with addiction at some level? It's possible and almost not an exaggeration to say that almost every family in America today has been affected by addiction in one way or another. So let's not fool ourselves. Let's talk about the fact that our sinful nature, our default position, is always towards some sort of addiction. There's a third point that needs to be made as we begin, and this is critical, that God's grace doesn't enter closed doors. You may be sitting here and already within your mind you're beginning to rationalize the reasons why you are the way you are and why you can't change. Some may even be saying, you know, I'm not addicted to anything. Even though you may have a problem that other people see, like so many others, you're living in denial. Well, I, don't, I, I want you to know today that God's grace is readily available. It is inclusive. But the problem is sometimes we don't recognize it. Keep in mind that the goal today is not merely to leave you with a, with a challenge. I'm not just interested in passing on information. I'm interested in seeing lives changed. When I was a younger preacher, which was uh, quite a long time ago, I used to think that if I just talked about what people needed to do, they could get rid of their addictions. If we read the scriptures, if we learned some of God's principles, any one of us could go home and apply them. Well, now I know that addictions are more deeply entrenched and more powerful than that. 
The rationalizations of the human heart go down to the bedrock level of where we live. Excuses abound. Blindness is all over the place. All I can do is to point the way and that leads you to grace, but the rest is up to you. And then fourth, I just want to affirm that addiction has many causes. If you were brought up in an addictive home, whether that was alcoholism or drugs or other things, you may already have what is sometimes referred to as an addictive personality. So it may be that your home environment was a source of some of the issues that you're dealing with today. It may be a friend who led you into drugs. You know, addictions always seem to make life go much better, don't they? Until life goes along much worse. And then we become hooked. So the point is that the real problem may be you and me. It's our home, it's our friends, but at the end of the day, it's our hearts. Someone has said that an addiction is an illusionary promise creating a world of escape. We go into this world of pleasurable sensations and it promises like a god, but it pays like a devil. And then finally, there are many different matches that inflame addictions. Accessibility is everywhere today, on the internet, on the street corner, at school, at work, even in the medicine cabinet. The growth of casinos and online gambling has greatly increased gambling addictions. Here's the point. Addictions, as well as the secrecy that goes with it, is very important so that the shame remains hidden. Self-deception is often a major partner to addictions and shame. Quite often we feel uh, we find an alcoholic who can't really see the devastation they're doing to their own life or what they're doing to their family, or what they're doing to their children, because there's so much denial, so much blindness, they can't, simple, they can't see uh, it in their own selfish world that they live in. Trying to escape stress and trying to escape work can also lead to addiction. All during the week, we think about what we're going to do on the weekend. And that fuels some people's lives. It draws them so they put up with work so that they can be living for the weekend when they can finally do what they want to do in this world of escape. For all of us, life is hard. And so we want to do, uh, what we want to do is find that place where we can have some peace and happiness. A place where nothing else matters except the fulfillment of our desires. All our consequences are blotted out of our minds. It's that world of escape and that world of shame that keeps a lot of people bound. Well, all of that by way of introduction. I'm going to ask you now to join me in looking at a passage of Scripture from John chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Now I think that the people who believed in Jesus in verse 31 were probably true believers. And Jesus is saying to them, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But like we see in so many other areas where Jesus is teaching, he may be gathered with his group of disciples, but there's usually a larger crowd around him, 
also overhearing what Jesus is teaching. And so it may be that these are the ones saying, but we are descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean, Jesus? You'll be set free. What do, you, what do we need to be set free from? Jesus uses an illustration that they would be acquainted with. He says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. Now that's a powerful statement. Think about that. Jesus saying that to this group of people. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. What I'd like to do in these next few moments is to give you three very general truths that we all need for freedom. And then we're going to do, what we're going to do is offer some steps that point us toward God's grace. And from there, it will be up to you and what to do with it. The first thing I think we need to know is ourselves. We have to know our own heart. You see, the people to whom Jesus was speaking didn't know their own hearts. They said, well, you know, we've never been slaves to anyone, Jesus. Now notice this, their self-righteousness closed them off from the possibility of experiencing God's grace. We've never been slaves to anyone. We are the righteous ones. We go to temple every week. We pray. We keep the law. What do we need to be set free from? Now, you and I, because of the deception of our hearts, make two profound mistakes when we evaluate ourselves. One, we always underestimate our blindness. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, certainly did that all the time. They didn't see what Jesus was getting at. The deeper issues of the heart, they were closed off from that. And you know what? It's a common thing among church people, especially if you've been around the church for years. We show up, we sit in our pew, we become largely unaffected and unmoved by the insights of the gospel. We get good at going through the motions. In a book entitled The Last Addiction, the author, Sharon Hirsch, makes the point that the very last addiction is the belief that we can get out of this predicament alone. Simply by helping ourselves, by memorizing some Bible verses, by saying that we're not going to do it again. But we do. And we will. The idea that the self that got us into trouble is the same self that can get us out of trouble is mythology. Several years ago, I had to do a stress test. I don't know if you've ever had one. But they put you on a treadmill. And the doctor said to me, he said, at first, you're going to be able to keep up with the treadmill, but eventually you're going to lose, and the treadmill will win. All right. So for the first three minutes, I thought, hey, this isn't bad, you know. I can do this. It's just a fast walk. Then after about three minutes, they increased the incline and the speed a little. Oh, this is taking a little more energy than I thought. And then they do that again. And pretty soon you surrender. And you say, treadmill, you win. Do you know what addiction means? Do you know what the root word is? It's to surrender to the gods. At the end of the day, we surrender to the gods, and it is a myth that we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We can deliver ourselves if we just simply follow the prescribed path. See, sin is deep, and the devil is strong, 
And it's an illusion to believe that we can handle addiction all on our own. And second, what we need to do is know some truth about Satan. We don't have the time to unpack this whole subject, but let's skip for a moment to verse 44. Jesus has an exchange with the Jews. We know that Jesus was very gentle most of the time, except when he was dealing with self-righteous people. And here's what he says. You are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. Now, try that on someone you're sharing your faith with this week. Say, I just want you to know that you are of your father, the devil. See how far that you know, gets you in building a relationship with someone at work this week. But these were people who were bragging that Abraham was their father. Jesus says, you are, you're not Abraham's children. You are children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. You see, the devil is never interested in life, always in death. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he is cons- he is, it, it is consistent with his character because he is a liar. He is the father of lies. Satan does never, never speaks the truth to us. It's, he can only lie. And what the devil does is that he puts ideas into our minds that we think are our own so that we're not afraid of them. Satan did that to a couple called Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. He came to them one day and he said, why don't you use a little bit of deception so that you can look better to the church? That you can tell a lie. It's just going to be a half lie. It's going to be a white lie. Peter said to them, why is it that Satan has put it in your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? They didn't know their idea came from the devil. They thought it was their own. Now the devil devil has two different sets of lies. To the Jews here, his lie was, hey, you're righteous. You're good people. You keep the law. You go to temple. You're not a drunk. You're not with prostitutes. You pay your tithes. You're meticulous in everything you do. You're okay as long as you belong to this club. But it was a lie. And for God to overcome their blindness was a challenge. That's why Jesus said that sinners would go to the kingdom of heaven ahead of them. So there's that lie. And then And then for those who are bound in addictions of the flesh, the devil has a ton of lies. Like, you're never going to change. You're worthless. You're unloved. You You don't have any value as a person. Look at your past. Look at what people think of you. Are you accepted? Are you the center of everything? No, you have every right to hate yourself considering who you are. You have every right to slash your wrists in anger. You have every right to be anorexic and not eat so that you can control something in your life because you're angry and everything else in your life is out of control. Let me ask you a question. Where do those things, where do those thoughts come from? They certainly don't come from God. They come from Satan and there are going to be times when we're going to struggle and we're going to have to say, get out of my life, Satan. And you're going to have to stand on the word of God because the lies are going to want to control you. Jesus said, your father is the devil because he lies. Don't believe his lies. So we need to know something about ourselves. We need to know something about Satan, of course. And and we need to know something about God. And that is that God is gracious. God is merciful. 
And in a few moments, I'm going to give you an example of that mercy and grace. But God has given us the gift of his presence. He gives us what we normally don't have and don't deserve, and he goes with us into the darkest places of our life. He invites us to open the door and let him in, let him in and deal with the hidden issues that are plaguing us. God is merciful and gracious, and he invites us to draw near. Now, what I'd like to offer you, what I consider maybe three ways of understanding, two or three ways of understanding where we are in life on this pathway toward hope. First of all, you can't get free from your addiction all on your own. You must be set free. Jesus said, and you will know the truth, and it is the truth that will set you free. If the Son sets you free, you are truly free. It's not merely a matter of willpower. It's not even a matter of memorizing some scripture verses. Jesus has to enter our world and set us free. You know, I love Psalm 40, where David talks about his experience, and he says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground, and he steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed, and they will put their trust in the Lord. David is saying, I was in a pit. I was in a pit, and God drew me up out of that pit. God didn't say, hey, David, here's a shovel. Dig yourself out. Because when we try to dig ourselves out of the pit, we're going to have trouble. We are only going to dig ourselves in deeper because the self-confidence says, I can handle this. No, you can't handle this. We usually fall into the pit all by ourselves. Nobody has to help us. Some of you may say, I didn't fall in, I was pushed. And that may be true for some. Either way, guess what? You're not getting out of that pit alone. But in Jesus, God comes into the pit. And he is there and he doesn't just throw us a rope because we're too weak to grab the rope, and even if we did, we couldn't pull ourselves up. Instead, he says, I'm going to come into the miry pit, the miry bog where you are, and I'm going to scoop you up, and I'm going to put your feet up on solid ground. I'm the one who establishes your coming and your going. I'm the one who's going to put a new song in your mouth. Jesus comes to us in our need, and that's why we... He was able to say as he did, this is my body and it's given for you. This is my blood that was shed for you. Why? Because it was for our redemption, our reconciliation. Jesus said, I came into this dirty world to rescue you. I came to your level. I didn't sin, but I came to your level because you were worse off than, I, than you ever thought. And if I had not intervened, it would have been a lost cause. You can't get free by yourself. You must be set free. And notice what Jesus says. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You know, a servant doesn't just wake up one morning saying, well, today I'm going to tell my master what to do. That's not what a servant does. Jesus said, you have to understand, sin owns you. It's the master. And it's telling you, do this and do that. And you must recognize that you are in slavery, but I've come to set the captive free. Now, secondly, your struggle magnifies God's grace. You know, I sometimes smile at God. Uh, I don't think that's irreverent to say because 
You know what? God actually thinks of things all the time that I don't. One of the things that God does through our struggles is he always is displaying his grace. Jesus was not kind to people who didn't think they needed grace. And what he does is he motivates us by his presence. I can think of so many times when I felt the Holy Spirit tapping me on the shoulder, and I knew better. I knew that the peace of God's presence was better than whatever else I was about to get into. But if we're open to God's grace, he's always present with us, and he's convicting us, and he's pulling us back to himself. Have you ever wondered what the way of escape is? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The Apostle Paul says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And the way of escape is the presence of God. He comes to our rescue, but we have to come to the point where the peace of God and our fellowship with God are more, mean more to us than the pleasure of whatever about, we're about to get into, whatever controls us. It is the presence of God right in our midst of that temptation that becomes our means of deliverance. Our passion for God has to be greater than our passion for sin. And when we learn that lesson at the end of the day, we're motivated by the fact that Jesus said, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Now, there's, here's the most important thing you may hear me say all day. When we sin, when we're loaded up with guilt, when we're in a lifestyle that's just increasing that guilt, what do we do? You know what the big mistake is that we often make we turn away from Jesus. We say, well, I can't handle the God thing right now. Someday when I'm not all tied up in this addiction, someday I'm going to do better and then I'll come to God. I'll clean myself up and I'll present myself to him. And we think God's going to say, oh, wow, <laughs> that's what I've been waiting for, for you to clean yourself up so I can work with you. See, the basis upon which we're accepted by God is not our performance, but what Jesus Christ has already done for us. And even in the middle of the temptation, we're reminded of the fact that we belong to him. We remind ourselves that we are the righteousness of God, and we begin to ask ourselves, what in the world am I doing as a child of God that displeases him? So we invite the presence of God into our life, and there's some, some of you here today who need to take that baggage that you've been carrying around, that stuff that's been weighing you down, and be willing to open yourself to the presence of Christ. You know, during the time of the Reformation, there was a man, he was a musician, actually. His name was Martin Arcola. He was a composer who lived during this period of time when there was this great struggle between the Catholics and the Protestants. He was a teacher in a Protestant school. But let me tell you what he wrote. He says, Though my sins were as great and many as the hairs of my head, the grass of the earth, the leaves of the tree, the sand on the seashore, the drops of water in the sea, or the stars of heaven. Yet I would not fall into despair, but I would run to the great indulgence chest, namely the grace and the overwhelming mercy of God. And there's the secret. We need to run to God, not away from God. Don't walk, run. I want you to notice something back in the beginning of this passage of Scripture we looked at today from John chapter 8. There's another story. 
about a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Some men brought her to Jesus one day and they said, this woman's been caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? And I smile at Jesus' answer. He says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone. In other words, sure, you're keeping the law, but if you haven't committed a similar sin, pick up the stone, start throwing. And then Jesus bends down and he writes something on the ground and the scripture says they began to go away one by one, starting with the oldest. They all filed out. The woman was caught. But for her, that was a gift. Sometimes there's a gift in being caught, being exposed in the presence of Jesus, because that's how healing begins. The men in the story were also caught, but they walked away with their masks fully intact. They may have been guilty of the same thing, but they walked away. Do you see the contrast? Here's a woman who hears the words of Jesus, your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. And here's some self-righteous people who are saying, we don't have any problems. We don't have any addictions. And the fact is that Jesus is saying, some of these people in honesty are exposed in my presence and they come with this bag of shame and I enter their world and I can bring deliverance but you know the people who walked away with their masks intact? They went back to their little hideaway, totally unchanged. Now I said earlier that God's grace enters open doors, not closed hearts. Jesus comes to us where we are, and he says, why don't you find a place where we can get together? Take some time, take an hour out of your life and just open your heart and your mind, and we'll look at your life together and I'll start bringing some healing and some hope, and I'll set you on a right path. There may be still some struggles, but I'll walk with you on that journey. So let me ask you, where are you today? Have you received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ? Or are you still living with the illusion that you don't need his forgiveness, you don't need his grace? Or maybe you're a believer but you're still living with the illusion that you can manage all this stuff all by yourself. Let's pray. God, we pray today that your word may break open in our lives and speak to issues that we've not addressed. Help us to take time during this week to get alone with you and say, God, I'm open. I'm going to open it all up. I'm going to expose my life to you because like this woman, I want to hear your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. God, do that in all of our hearts. We love you, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.